Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Welcome, everybody. Tim Pool family. I, I hope you, you couldn't find me on Twitter because I am search suggestion Ben. So even if you were to enter my handle, Liberty Lock Pod, verbatim, it still didn't come up. So I, the first time I was on Tim Pool was two years ago. I got 5,000 new followers over the past 24 hours, even though 400 plus thousand people watched me and saw and heard me give my exact handle. I got a couple hundred. So thank you, Elon, savior of the West, savior of free speech for having me shadow banned for no fucking reason at all. I really appreciate it. Speaking of people that get shadow banned for no fucking reason at all, we got we got Eric with us. Let's bring him in. Hello, Eric. How are you? Dude, what's up? I'm great. How's <laughs> life? A, uh, it's good, man. I mean, I'm I'm happy regardless of the fact that I'm being abused on all social media. Uh, for those that don't know, Eric, he is Iraq Veteran eight 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 on both Twitter and YouTube. Uh, it looks like everyone on Earth apparently follows you on YouTube already, brother. Damn, good job. Been at it a long time. I think the YouTube page we've been going about fifteen years, and uh, it's funny. I really wasn't on Twitter that much. But my wife was the one that pressured me to, to to start a Twitter, and I did that some time back. And I and for the longest time, I never posted anything on Twitter ever, not even mm -hmm. like sharing video links and things. And then one day, it's like I I just started ranting, and I haven't I stopped. <laughs> so, no, I love it, man. It, it's uh, like you strike me as being one of my people right away. I, we've only been following each other for a little while now, but I'm like, yeah. This guy, this guy gets it for sure. Um, so it, it seems as if, I mean, let's obviously let's start. You're a veteran. Sounds like Iraq War veteran. Uh, what years were you there? Uh, 05, 06. Okay. So I was OIF3, and I was there with a uh, mortar platoon. So I was nice. 11 Charlie, but we did a lot of 11 Bravo stuff too, rolling traffic control points and, you know, the TCPs and uh, convoy escort. You know, we got stuck on a lot of that stuff too, but uh, – I was 20 years old at the time, so it, it feels like a lifetime ago. It really does. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you live a couple lifetimes just in the year that you're <laughs> the year or two that you're there. It, it, I would think. Um, did I'm just curious, uh, what was your experience like? I mean, did it did it shift your your perception of obviously the the reason we were there, uh, the role of the military? It, did you have any like preconceived notions that that changed? I'm just I always like to ask veterans about that. That is a fantastic question. And I actually, I wish that more people would ask those types of questions. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to answering this one. You know, it's like, I think that you kind of get lumped into the situation where, you know, you put on that uniform and you've got the flag on your shoulder and, you know, the people to your left and right are like family to you and you want nothing more than to protect those people. And, you know, we do get, I guess, at, like the song says, we get star spangled eyes. And, and it's true, you know, and at the time, of course, you're thinking, oh, we can do no wrong. We're here for all the right reasons. And you kind of get, you know, in the passion or, or fear of the moment. And, you know, the, the, the reasoning of why we're here maybe doesn't matter at the time. It's just more about kind of getting into a mindset of survival and making sure the people to your left and right come home. And I think at the time that, you know, you're in a war zone, you're not exactly thinking about why, but but just, hey, you know, we, we need to survive this and, and bring everybody home. Mm -hmm. And I think um, time is our greatest teacher, 
right? And over time, you know, experience is our greatest teacher, but time also is a great teacher as well because Indeed. with that kind of experience. And I think over time, I've, I've come to really, I'd say, question my role in the conflict and question our reasoning behind being there and questioning the military industrial complex and questioning the lies of the Shaney regime and everything like that. I mean, there was a lot of things that went on and many of pockets were lined over that situation. And it cost some of us our lives and definitely cost some of us young people our innocence yeah. and our youth. And no kidding. You know, many of us had to grow up pretty quick. Do you, you lose any back on it in hindsight? Did you, you know, lose any? Did you lose any friends over there? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. we we do we did, and you know, we've lost brave men and women in Afghanistan, Iraq, and all these conflicts. I mean, you're talking twenty years worth of warfare can do some things to a person, right? Yeah. You know, several. Uh, let's just say several deployments. You know, you're five, six deployments in especially if they're combat deployments with a combat unit, a line unit, or, or any type of combat MOS where you're seeing a lot of crazy things, that can wear down on a person big time. And I think there's a lot of disgruntled people out there. And I'd like to think that I represent a pretty large portion of people that are just disgruntled over the way that that 20 years fiasco just went on and on and on. The endless wars, the endless conflict, an entire generation of people who lost their innocence and, uh, and, and some of them lost their lives, and it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and I, I had some friends because I, I grew up in San Diego, so I had a lot of, you know, friends that either I met because they were Marines and I was playing volleyball with them, or friends that went and enlisted. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's like even if you survive it, the toll that it takes on on many of my friends was was so stark. I, I was a I'm a second gen libertarian, so I was already anti war to begin with. But when I saw saw the human toll when i saw the alcoholism and you know the suicidal ideation and things that came uh with many of of the people i knew uh really struck home for me and and i guess just kind of amplified my anti-war fervor um and and i just wanted to add on to one thing that you said is that you know 20 years of war can change a person uh, from a macro perspective it changes the nation i mean it, you really the the fabric of our nation from you know the 1990s to now i don't think that people give enough credit to or enough credence to the the amount of shift in our culture that comes from us being in a perpetual war for many people's entire lives i mean there's people that are in their 20s that have never known america at peace it's a it's a really bizarre thing particularly when you understand our our founders wish, wishes that we don't have entangling alliances that we don't have uh, military adventurism um, do you, did you share that belief prior to your service and, or, or have you found that afterwards? It, it took me a while to find it at the time, you know, when you're 20 years old, I mean, you're full of piss and yeah. vinegar and you're, you're gonna, let's go you know, fight. You're in the zone. And of course we were all angry, you know, yeah. we, we, we felt like a, a deadly blow had been, you know, made against our country. And of course it was now I'm not going to get into all of the where, why, and whatnot of the conspiracy surrounding those events, because that's sure. on our bag of apples. However, the point is many of us were hurt, you know, and, and we felt terrible and we want to do something. And there was a, a, a great feeling of patriotism in mm -hmm. the 9-11 generation. Oh, I remember. We, we wanted nothing more than, than to smash our nation's enemies. And we thought that, 
you know, it was just that black and white. And it took me a while. And it's it's kind of funny, too, because I reached out to the Libertarian Party, speaking of, of libertarians, and that's how I got in touch with you. And also, you know, I, I've been a lifelong Republican. And, you know, I, I very much have always, you know, tried to support the Rebel, Republican Party. I'm sorry, my dogs are, are, are pitching. I don't know how much you can oh, hear them, but they're loud. Oh, don't worry about it. i got three Belgian Malinois, and they're, uh, they're vocal. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've always been a staunch Republican my whole life, and I'm a multi-generation Republican. I'm talking, mm-hmm. you know, like, we go way back. My family's been here since the mid-1600s. So, I mean, you know, take your pick. It goes way back. We've been here a sure. long time. And I've found more of my views being much more in line with li- with libertarians more. And mm-hmm. I feel like the, the goalposts of that situation have been moved in, in so many ways, right? Where it seems like, let's just say the Democrats and the far left have just gone really far left. You got the AOCs and Ilian Omars of, of, of the bunch that are kind of like, whoa, you know, hey, hold the phone. Like, this is <laughs> simmer down, right? And there's probably some Democrats that, that look at them and go, whoa, 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 you know? And then on the Republican side, okay, you've got Republicans that might be super staunchly right, like to the degree that you're like, hold the phone, like simmer down, you know? <laughs> but I think the, 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 the more appropriate truth is that on the Republican side, you've got more centralist, if not leftist Republicans and, and Republicans who are indifferent about things that I feel should, should be a, a non-touch issue. Like, and, and, you know, it's, it's not, you know, unknown that I am staunchly a second amendment supporter. I mean, not, to me, the second amendment is, is the crux of everything. It is. Because what are all the other rights worth if we don't have the teeth to protect them? And the, the, the sort of crystal ball that I've always viewed the second amendment under is, is the very important distinction that everyone, regardless of their views, even if I disagree with them, should have the ability to protect those views. Now, yeah. I don't have to like how someone thinks, but it is our inherent human right to be armed and to yeah. have the, the ability, you know, the, the government should not have a monopoly on violence. And I find myself being more libertarian minded, you know, yeah. I'm kind of. I, I guess if I had to consider myself a libertarian, I, I'm one of those libertarians that's just kind of like the, hey, you do you, I'll do me, I'll leave you alone, you leave me alone. Yeah. Let's all take care of each other, and not be dicks to each other. Is that really so hard? Right, and I'm, and yet and yet we're on terrorist watch list for feeling this way. It's a it's a weird world when uh, you're like, hey, let's uh, have a live and let live. You know, just leave me the fuck alone type of mentality. And they're like, oh, you're dangerous. You're such an extremist. It's like I believe in peace and prosperity i believe in free exchange of goods that's i mean and then the right to self-defense the right to speak i I basically like libertarians really really value what is enumerated in the bill of rights like that's that's really what most libertarians are about and and it's fascinating to me that you know the conservatives or the republicans uh more specifically they made their branding i mean almost every campaign that they run is is targeted towards appealing to what ultimately amounts towards a very libertarian message of gun rights and you know reduced government size, reduced taxation, like all libertarian principles, and and yet when they get into power, they don't do a damn thing to uh, to actually address those things. And and I think that's why more and more Republicans are are looking at the libertarians as and saying like, hey, maybe I am one of you, and and I don't blame them. You know, I like if if 
you know, the Matt Gates of the world, when he talks, I'm like, yeah, this sounds good. You know, I like that. He, he's probably one of the guys that I think, uh, you know, might be the real deal, especially after his Timcast appearance. I don't know if you got to see that, but two hours of just like truth telling savage savagery. I was like, this guy is very impressive. Um, but the vast majority of the Republicans are just such scumbags. Mitt Romney and Lindsey Graham. It's like, I don't know. I don't know why people hold on. Is it just is it just a belief that the third party can't win? Is that why most Republicans won't do it? I think it's the same reason that many of the the Democrats hold on. I mean, because their sure. their parents and grandparents and great grandparents voted that way, so surely they should vote that way and just hold on to the old ways. I'm guilty of it. I voted Republican my whole life. Uh, I've voted Republican in the recent Senate runoff, even. So, so mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, a, a strange paradigm where you've got these Republicans that essentially want to want to cash the libertarian check. Yes. Which is good. Right yeah. now, you look at someone like Thomas Massey. Thomas Massey is, you know, a guy that I respect a lot. Me too. Massey and I have very similar views on all of this stuff. And, you know, I look at someone like Chip Roy. I look at someone like Thomas Massey. I look at Gats. Um, you know, some could say like maybe even Marjorie Taylor Greene. She, she's maybe a little on the crazy side sometimes. Sure. But she's got heart. Yeah. And that's important. Like when she says something, you know, she's speaking the truth. Now, it might be something that's kind of like, oh, it's a little cringe. But overall, though, she's a, a fiercely intelligent and brave woman. And I do respect her very much. So there are some Republicans that I feel the Republican Party doesn't deserve. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way to put it. And, and it's it's funny because because you have those 20 holdouts that tried to prevent McCarthy from getting the speakership uh, of which quite surprisingly, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Thomas Massey were not part of those 20. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd say there's probably 25, like, pretty good Republican uh, congressional members and, you know, two or three senators. <laughs> well, so, they were able to get some some basic concessions. Yes. Right? Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, as much as I don't really agree with, like, deal-making and, and, and pork and slush and all of the, you know, the, the cesspool sure. that does become the swamp water, like, those deals die on the floor and become this swamp water. I don't agree with swamp water. I don't agree with the with the that mentality of deal-making. But if you're going to make a deal, you might as well make something that's, that's, that's going to have oh, some man. No, preach, preach. I, 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 concessions. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I, I just, I'm just saying I was surprised that MTG and Thomas Massey weren't in on that, but they've, they've given their explanations and I, and I think that they're fair ones. Um, but I'm very grateful for those 20, you know, what they got in that negotiation process, assuming that they actually follow through, uh, basically, uh, an investigation of the FBI into the origins of COVID and, you know, Fauci's financial ties. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, oh, January 6th. I mean, there's a lot of things that we need answers to. And and if it's only, you know, if we only have 25 people that are actually even quasi fighting for the American people, well, yeah, you know, they're, they're I'm going to look at them as allies until proven otherwise. Um, but I think that the, the real concern is that, you know, we're talking about 25 out of 535, you know, like that just ain't enough, man. And, and I, I just don't know how we have a political solution to this uh, and Really, we have a bigger cultural problem in that the vast majority of Americans, it seems now, no longer share the values that you and I hold so dear, which is free speech, self-defense. Like those two things are so important. They're basically the foundational, you know, guidestones to to human liberty and and thriving. And they don't fucking want them. They just flatly don't want them. 
is that is that something that we can do anything about? I like I don't know. Well, I think that the Libertarian Party is making some good strides, and I think they're picking up a lot of good people. And I'm 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 probably going to wind up switching to the Libertarian Let's Party. Let's go. You know, I've been thinking long and hard about it, and and you know, here's my kind of issue, or at least my perspective of it, and maybe you can help me unpack this, maybe not, but I always look at it in terms of, um, you know, when we look at joining a party, like you're, you're going to say, okay, I'm red, I'm blue, I'm yellow, whatever, what have you, right? Um, I'm, I'm so stoic, and I'm, I'm such, like, I'm, I'm this kind of introverted person that's like, the, the minute someone pulls the banner up, I kind of start thinking, all right, well, wait a minute, you're going to limit your views to just that. And, and that's my issue, right? Well, the idea of being in a party is, well, okay, maybe I agree with most of the, the people in this party. Therefore, I'll say, hey, I'm a member of the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the Libertarian Party, whatever. The problem with party politics is then you're pigeonholed into party politics. I've always yeah. tried my best to be relatively independent. Now, sure. I've always voted Republican, typically, but I actually don't even think I'm a registered Republican. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like in the right. system. So, you know, whereby if, if I were to say, well, I'm going to start voting for libertarians, but still trying to kind of take what good and bad I can from what everybody is saying. I mean, there are some things that Democrats say that I, I can agree with. I just don't agree with the, the, the way that they, they tend to implement these things. That's the big issue is the implementation and carrying right. out of these ideas. I mean, it's, yeah. it's safe to say, like, okay, a lot of Democrats, you know, they want people to be treated fairly. They want, they claim to want equity and fair treatment for people and, you know, to help the little guy. Everyone can agree that's important. You don't want your citizens suffering at any level, you know. It's just, dang, the, the, the cost of getting there, the way we get there is just drastically different in the way we see those. those well, yeah, items. I mean, let's just be honest. The, the left does identify a lot of problems that are really serious and legitimate but their solutions are catastrophically inverted i mean it, it, they they see poverty they see you know racial injustice <clears throat> structural racial racial injustice through our legal system and then they go like let's empower the state further it's like okay well you don't uh, you fuck you missed the boat yeah like you you had it and then you lost it somewhere along the line so um yeah i i'm just i'm just oh let me let me i, I wanted to address your point about uh, party politics. You know, I am a hardline libertarian, but that doesn't mean that I will vote for a libertarian no matter what. Uh, like, and I, I am, if, if the libertarian party fails to deliver me candidates that I can believe in wholeheartedly, I will never vote for them. Uh, I think that, that if you become a partisan, like there's a lot of people that leave the duopoly because they hate partisan politics and then they go to the libertarian party and then they, they shift into this mindset of like, well, I'm a registered libertarian now, so I have to vote libertarian. That's bullshit. I, I, I do not advocate for that whatsoever. I demand like unbelievable quality when it comes to a third party candidate because the odds are they're not going to win. So I want you to be great so that every time you get a media opportunity, every time you go on a podcast or on the you know the new the nightly news or whatever whatever opportunities you get you got to crush it i want you to represent my belief system to the fullest so if you're milk toast like get the fuck out i don't i don't have any time for that i want i want real savages up there and and you know i i think that's how most people in my audience feel like even though most of them probably do vote libertarian like they're not gonna they're not gonna just accept crap because it has an l next to its name so don't don't feel pressure what i'm saying 
Well, this so this last election cycle, you know, the Republicans had some real issues with uh, candidate quality, and that really that's what hurt them big time. And you know, I've talked to a few people in Georgia here with the Libertarian Party. Uh, you know, we had dinner one night. I went to one of their meetups, and they were all awesome people. Of course, I got along with them great because yeah. I think that's more my my crowd is the Libertarian types. But I brought up a good point to him, and and yeah, maybe the libertarians should consider this, right? If if you have, let's say, a rhino, right, someone who's a Republican in name only, and we all despise the idea of a rhino because we assume, well, a rhino is someone who's really a Democrat, or let's just say they lean, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the world or the Liz right, Shane right, right. of the world, who really don't have our best interests at heart or the party's interests at heart. No, but a rhino can go the other way too. You sure. know, and when I look at someone like Thomas Massey, what I really see is a is a libertarian in, in, in Republican clothes. Yes, and, exactly. You know, Thomas Massey's voting record speaks for itself, and his you know steadfast, uh, you know, warrior spirit when it comes to the Second Amendment it cannot be ignored. I mean, he's on the two A caucus. I think he's like the the chair, like the top guy in the two A caucus, or at least started back up the two A caucus. Undoubtedly, the best libertarian anarchist podcast network yeah lions of liberty they're my buddies brian and john on monday john odermatt delivers a powerful mix of inspiration health and faith to set your mind body and soul free with finding freedom and then every wednesday brian mcwilliams will make you laugh at our broken world while providing the promise of a better future with mean age daydream friday includes shows like meme wars or hate watch or my personal favorite libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor episodes Lions of Liberty is the first step towards freedom. Make sure you subscribe to them today. You can go listen to the Lions of Liberty Network everywhere podcasts are found. Brian McWilliams will not be for, with us forever due to his severe alcoholism, so it's very important that you subscribe now. It's the only way that we might get him into a rehab. Again, Lions of Liberty. Go check him out. Subscribe right now. So, you know, I think the libertarians should kind of play that game as well they should say hey let's let's find great libertarian candidates who maybe under a libertarian platform would not get the votes necessary to advance uh in a, in a race or whatever but but hey let's let's have a run as republicans yeah i mean I that's a hard pill to swallow but you know what sometimes you, you know when they <laughs> you look at trojan horse right yep. like you got to get in the gate somehow exactly you know I mean? so it's well like, look yeah, I mean, let's just be honest. The greatest libertarian of my lifetime and most people's, you know, entire like personification of libertarianism is Ron Paul. He was like a 20 year congressional Republican. So uh, I don't think there's any problem with, you know, playing the game as long as you get in there and you act with principle. And, and that's what he did. That's what Thomas Massey does. And for the record, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me if I'll ever get involved with politics. I've said many times, if I was going to run for a federal office and i was serious about it because i i have enough money that i could probably fund a, a pretty serious campaign i would run as a republican because i'm not going to throw that money away i want to fucking win like i want to get in there i want to understand how the how the swamp works i want to be able to you know come back and report on it honestly and uh and you know on a federal level running as a libertarian at this point is essentially a dead end. Now, that's totally different on a local level. You can win some local campaigns running as a libertarian, and I encourage people to do so because I think it's really meaningful when you have elected, quote-unquote, libertarians. Um, but it's not it's not necessary at all. And and I think that, you know, we don't have enough time. We're, like, we don't have a 20-year time window 
to wait for the American people to go like, okay, I'm going to throw my vote at the libertarians. Oh, look, like they, they won. We, we have a libertarian president. Um, we don't have 20 years, man. Like if, if it's not the economic collapse, it's going to be the, the cultural and civilizational collapse or civil war or world war three. Like there's a lot of things that could happen in the next year, much less 20. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested in party politics in that, in that way, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to transition into, um, I'm really, you know, even though I am a libertarian and, and I do own guns, I am not like a real gun nut. I don't know enough about this stuff to talk about it intelligently. You, my dear sir, absolutely do understand this stuff well enough to talk about it. So um, the pistol brace laws that that were all the rage, if you could explain it to my audience and then we can just talk about it a bit. Sure. I'll be happy to explain the uh, the pistol brace ruling and, and what just came down from the ATF. Before I do, though, I would like to bring up something that I feel is kind of relevant maybe to your audience that, that may not understand. Like, okay, we discussed earlier about like the Iraq war and how, you know, these young folks went into war, went into combat and had just this bravado and go get them attitude about it. And then maybe in later years, like myself, had a bit of a change of heart. So you have to remember that there's a lot of guys like me out there who are much more libertarian minded or much more, you know, like we're right wing in the standpoint of, you know, like, we want to own guns and be able to protect ourselves, and we understand guns as a great equalizer, but understand a lot of us have combat experience. You know, we've been thrown in the fray and dealt with things, so naturally, we, we tend to be the kind of people who are probably going to be more into guns than your average person as a result, just because of our military experience or our upbringing. So I wanted to kind of, you know, mention that I may not be the typical libertarian in, in, in that, you know, I do have combat experience. And, and I don't go around making a big deal about anything like that. But but it's just that my views have been crafted over a period of time. And it's taken me a while to come to the realization. Yeah. So well, I let, think let me... there's a lot of good people out there that, that support libertarian views. Oh, oh absolutely. I, I completely agree. I mean, almost everyone I know, when I talk to them, they're, they're closer to being a libertarian than they are to the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. Like, they really are. But that just, it doesn't matter when it comes to the voting booth. They go in there and they hit the R or the D. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, or I just wanted to add to what you were saying. Like, I know a ton of military veterans that are that are libertarians. So Good. I think you're going to find that you have a, a huge community uh, within our community that you'll get along with perfectly. These are military veterans saw, you know, hot combat and and they came back and they're like, that was insane. What the fuck were we doing over there? But they still, they yeah. still very much have like the patriotic bent. They're still very much into gun culture, and and they, you know, they're ride or die for it. I mean, those are the people that I want more than anybody because like that's the that's the period we're in, entering where you have such incredible federal overreach that like we need some people that actually know how to defend themselves that are like, yeah, we're not going to allow this to go that direction. Um, yep. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that real quick. It, from your from your background, uh, I know a lot of people get really concerned that with the federal overreach and also um, you know the the purges that came with the vaccine mandates, where they were getting like basically any free thinkers out of the military. Um, do you think that that was part of trying to essentially make sure that you have ide full ideological capture and allegiance towards whatever the commander in chief says? Um, and, and do they intend to do something with that? Do you have any opinion? So we're going to talk about braces in a minute, but I'll answer that question real quick. Sure. I think that it sort of wound up being like an unintended consequence. I, I think people really give the government a lot more credit than they really do. 
Sure. You know, like they're, they're very much an administrative animal and everything's all forms and, and classes and, and signing off on everything. So I think initially they probably thought, well, we'll just require uh, the military to get the poke uh, because why not? The taxpayers are paying for the pokes and the, we're making money hand over fist and there's probably some kickbacks in there somewhere. So screw right. it. We'll require the military to get it. And I think the unintended consequence of it was that then they figured out that some people weren't having it yeah. and they weren't expecting that they were expecting Joe to just roll his sleeve up and go about it and, and it not be an argument or anything. So right. Ten, tens of thousands they sort of found out the hard way. <laughs> so, yeah, but they're actually talking about rolling back uh, the, 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 the vaccine mandate for military and bringing some of those people back in. Yeah, I know, but it's just, it's just, it does for from my vantage point, you know, like your your job as the military is to make sure that you have readiness to defend the nation. And you're putting something that one isn't very efficacious and also two isn't really necessary for young, healthy, fighting age men. Like it's really not necessary. We we have a lot of evidence to prove that that's that's the case. So I that's the reason I go down the conspiracy route of like what the fuck are they doing? You know, do they do they want people that aren't willing to just acquiesce to absurd commands? Because otherwise it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm just being totally yeah. honest with you. Of course they do. Of course they want people that will just follow orders without question. Uh, the perfect soldier is someone who will follow any order without question, beyond mm -hmm. a shadow of a doubt. Now, you talk about efficacy and, and the effectiveness of something like, you know, this, uh, this poke or whatever that everyone talks about. I think that we don't know what they know and we don't know what they knew when they knew it. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, like, that's true. It's, it's merely speculation at the time that they required that. How do we know that maybe they really did think that it was the end all do all solution? I mean, of course yeah. the danger in giving them the benefit of the doubt is that you're always going to be filled with doubt because <laughs> right. the things that they do are highly untrustworthy. Yeah, and I think exactly. that's where a, lot, a lot of us draw a ton of speculation over everything we're told in the official narrative because we've been lied to so many times. I mean, think about it. it, it it's like your ex coming back to you, like, <laughs> but she lied to you a million times. Like, wouldn't you go, no, nah, we're not falling for this again. I mean, how many times do you have to be lied to? How many times do you have to be called a conspiracy theorist and then found to be correct for right. you to go, no, nah, we're not falling for this crap again. Nice yeah, try. It, dep it depends on how hot she is, but the government ain't that hot, so I don't have a problem telling her to kick rocks. Um, so yeah, right. let, let's open let's open the pistol brace uh, thing. Yeah, so yeah. Go, go okay, so let's let's get back to the braces. I didn't mean to um, diverge too much on the conversation. No, it's, it's all good. So the whole brace fiasco has been sort of floating around in the, in the back of the ATF's mind for actually quite some time, and we're not going to go into like a whole bunch of nerdy details, but let's just say about a decade ago they approved the SB three uh, pistol brace or the you know, SB tactical brace device that basically allows you to hold uh, an AR AK pistol with one arm, you know, be able to support it and shoot it. And it was intended primarily for disabled shooters and things like that. Mm. And of course, we, we know that things went relatively down the rabbit hole in terms of how people uh, wound up using them and all. And, and of course, the Gun Control Act tells us what guns are and what they aren't, right? Mm. The Gun Control Act does not say the correct way that you shoot a gun. It doesn't say anything about how the guns are used, only what they are. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the problem is that 
the ATF is abusing some administrative fiat in order to accomplish their goals with the brace band. So now they're saying, hey, you got to pull the brace off and disable it. You have to take the rifle tube, like if it's an AR with a rifle buffer on the back that the stock usually hangs on to, you have to remove the stock off of there and put a, um, you know, a smooth pistol tube on it, which mm. there for a while when AR pistols were a thing, you know, before all this brace stuff was around, they just had a smooth tube on there and people would kind of like put a tennis ball in the end or wrap some 550 cord around it and still, <laughs> you know, kind of shoot it that way. But Basically, through abusing things like Chevron deference, right, we, we saw a, a case come out of the Fifth Circuit Court not too long ago that basically slapped the ATF on the wrist when it comes to how they handled the bump stock situation, mm -hmm. right, the whole bump stock thing, and saying that they can't abuse Chevron deference. Well, now there's actually uh, a few congressmen. I saw on my Twitter profile earlier. Let me, let me pull it up and look real quick. Sure. It was... It was uh, Rep. Andrew Clyde. He said, after personally speaking with ATF Director Dittelbach this week, I look forward to introducing a resolution of disapproval under the Congressional Review Act to repeal the unconstitutional, uh, unconstitutional pistol brace rule. So, right, only Congress can make laws. Like we're taught in civics, you know, they don't teach civics anymore, but we're taught in civics class. Those of us that are old enough to remember that right. we have checks and balances in our government and that bills and laws, all these things have to be passed through very strict protocol checks and balances. So when you give the alphabet agencies the ability to just sort of snap out of thin air and say, well, it's illegal because we say it is, you're bypassing Congress, right? It doesn't it, it, You get no representation. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't elect the ATF. Did you? Right? No. no if I, if I did, I would have abolished them already. Right. No one elected the ATF. So so now it's estimated that there's between it's is a rather large range of numbers, but it's estimated that there's between 10 and 40 million pistol braces in circulation. So essentially, the ATF would be turning, in theory, up to 40 million people into felons overnight. Now, there's a 120 day period and they're offering like an amnesty registration, which really what it all comes down to is registration. Right. Yep. They're going to waive the $200 tax stamp. They're going to say, if you register your brace pistol, it's all cool. You can have a free SBR on us. All we have to know, we just need to know you have it. But it's Fuck not that. quite so cut and dry like people <laughs> might think it is. Yeah. You know, it, it's scary. You know, some people can't own NFA items in the state that they live in. Right. So that's one issue is that you might live in a state that doesn't allow NFA items, but they allow pistols. So what about those people? And then two, what if you've never registered anything under the NFA? Now you've got Big Brother pulling the, you know, the roof of your house up and you, you feel like, you know, it's an invasion of your privacy. And there there's a lot of people I know of that buy guns, you know, just off the record. You know, they buy them in private sales because they just they don't even want to fill out a 4473, much less NFA paperwork. Yeah. So those are the libertarians. It's an invasion of privacy for many. <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it's it's not just an invasion of privacy, but it also is the natural precursor to gun confiscation. And when you have when you have a sitting president who you know braggadociously proclaims that he will be you know, banning AR-15s, yeah, I don't want the fucking government knowing what I own. I don't. 
And and I think that's how most people that actually understand the purpose of 2A and that it's not about hunting, it's about self-defense, realize that allowing the government to have any information in this regard is extraordinarily dangerous. And and it's not it's not to imply that they have some intention of like sicking the federal government or the federal military on on the American people. I'm not I'm not going that far, but just to say you know, it, it, there is a chilling effect. Like they, they want people to feel like, Hey, we're watching. Uh, let, let me ask you this. <clears throat> is there, is there a lot of cr like murders and crimes that are being committed by people with pistol braces? Is there, is there a reason that they're saying that this is necessary? That's a great question. So the, the FBI crime statistics do not back up their claims that braces are used in, in some proportion of crime that they, that they can even pinpoint, right? Now, when we look at the crime statistics, when it comes to firearms, they do list like rifle, shotgun, other pistol, mm -hmm. right? Handgun or whatever, because the Gun Control Act defines what those are. So it would mm -hmm. be, it would naturally make sense for the FBI to say, well, the Gun Control Act defines what a rifle is, what a shotgun is, what a handgun is, etc. So in our data, we're going to, to, to compile our data in conjunction with the wording of the gun control act, which would make logical sense. So let's say that theoretically, a whole bunch of braces started showing up in crimes at such a rate that the police and the FBI decided, you know what, we need to have a special category for this type of, uh, of a firearm uh, because we're seeing that they're used, you know, disproportionately to normal handguns. Of course, that data doesn't exist. So that tells me that they're not used in a disproportionately large amount of crimes compared to just a normal handgun. Yeah. I think this is simply, you know, there's a lot of police that probably don't like the idea of someone having a braced gun because, I mean, you're on the side of the road, right, pulling over some vehicle for whatever reason, and, you know, someone has an 11-inch AK pistol on the other side of the glass that could theoretically shoot through soft armor. I could see where, you know, they, they might be weirded out by that, but you yeah. know, they just the are right to have them. But the, with the advent of 3D printing, I, I don't even understand. Like, it seems like if there was one thing you could probably pretty easily 3D print, it would be a pistol brace. Am I wrong about that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, the, the 3D printing community is doing some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah. I mean, these guys come up with these crazy chassis systems. I mean, there is, infinite possibilities when it comes to 3d printing and there's some real talented people out there that have done some awesome stuff that is very futuristic looking and definitely in like the nfa nutkick sort of territory <laughs> so goa fpc nra ton of different um gun groups are submitting lawsuits to fight this as we speak and Good. of course you know we do have as i read earlier off of that tweet there are some members of congress that are going to you know, send some letters off to Diddlebach, uh, the director of the ATF. This isn't over. The fight's just beginning. And, um, you know, hopefully this thing will be sorted out in the courts. And as much as it pains me to say this, I hate to admit this, but here's the thing. Like, we may not necessarily like our legal system. It may not make sense all the time. Sure. But the courts, I hate to admit it, but they usually get it right. Yeah. So they do. Let, let's hope that, that justice prevails for the people and that, you know, hopefully the Supreme, hopefully it actually goes as far as the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court under the Bruin standard goes, get out of here. 
Yeah. Just, you know, the fifth court shot down the bump stock case. So I'm hoping, even right. if a lower court shoots down, uh, I'm hoping Congress shoots it down. I mean, all, all it would take is what a letter from, you know, 50 members of Congress co-signing to say, hey, don't do this, jack legs. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. It, you would think so. But it, it this is this is what concerns me about it is like we have ATF that's doing shit like this. You have the FBI who's, you know, good God. I mean, the, the list of things that they've done that's, as far as I'm concerned, overtly unconstitutional. I think that they attempted to coup Donald Trump. That's my honest opinion uh, with their, their spying and then the entire, uh, you know, Russian collusion scandal that they attempted to concoct. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and these are you know, unelected, like federal police forces, essentially. And, and I don't believe that our framers had that in mind at all. And I, I think that they are at their inception, unconstitutional organizations. And I think at this point, they, they strike me more to be, you know, KGB Stasi level uh, political apparatus than they do any sort of good for this country that's my honest opinion is there any reason to keep the fucking fbi the atf any of these sons of bitches around because i don't think so you know what's crazy is that when we look at these alphabet agencies you know when you look at i, I don't know how old you are clint but like you know us kids that are raised in the 80s and 90s you know i'm not going to say that we drank the kool-aid maybe some of us did but i kind of feel like you know when i was little right the FBI, the CIA, like, you know, I used to watch tons of spy movies and, oh, yeah. you know, you, you were always, you always thought, well, they're the good guys. Like they're trying yeah. to protect us. They're trying to like do things behind the scenes to protect American interests. You know, and you always look at the like movies from, from the older days and you think, well, well, they're just trying to do things behind the scenes that protect our interests. And for a while, you know, you really believe that. And, and I did. there's yeah. still this tiny glimmer in the back of our minds where, where we want to believe that they actually do have our best interests in mind. But after a while, again, it's that ex-girlfriend theory where, you know, <laughs> after you've, 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 you've seen so many times that the proof is there, you, you kind of begin to lose faith in, in, in the administrative state. Yeah, man. And, well, uh, is that to say that we need to completely do away with the CIA or the FBI? I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that they need to be gone permanently or for good because, uh, believe me, if someone's trying to hurt our country, I, I want some spies in the grass. You know, I want somebody to jump out of a bowl. I, I still want to have somebody that can jump out of a bowl of rice and get someone if we need to get them. <laughs> if it's really, truly in the in the interests of American sovereignty and safety and, 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 you know, but now this police state being used against our own citizens, yeah. and especially against average citizens. I mean, we're talking moms at a parent-teacher conference. Yeah, or, or, or pro pro life demonstrators, or Mike Lindell that owns a pillow company. You're gonna investigate right. him. I mean, come on. Or, you're or come Ro Roger me? Stone. You're gonna come talk to me. I mean, what the heck? What line of bullcrap did you follow that led you here? Yeah, little old ladies on January 6th. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they've done insane stuff. It's just, and then all this collusion with big tech and with all these social media platforms to censor and deplatform people. It had it reeks of like KGB, yeah. You know, it, it, it reeks of like Russian military officer, like uh, propaganda officers, like you see in old war films. You know, it, yep. it just you have to wonder, yeah, whose side well, they're really on and who they're really fighting for. And it's just, 
I'm not going to doubt that there's not some good men and women at the organization that actually care. I still there are. That. I really do. Oh, no, brother, there are. I, in fact, I had Kyle Serafin on my show. He's an FBI agent that uh, was suspended for pushing back against the vaccine mandates amongst the FBI. And uh, and he's now, you know, come out and basically really he's he's fully on the abolition side of the FBI, which is pretty remarkable because technically he's still an active FBI agent. He's just suspended. But um, there are good FBI agents and there are good people in the military and there are good cops like there are good people that do these jobs. It's just uh, I personally believe that many of these organizations just root and stem must be ripped out. They do not they no longer represent the the principles by which they they claim to have been founded, and they certainly don't uphold their oath to defend and protect the Constitution. And I'm like, look, if you don't do that, I don't want you. I, I certainly don't want you to have a monopoly on violence and, and the capacity to spy on me and the capacity to censor me and the capacity to to know my whereabouts and where I'm going and who I'm speaking to. And they have all of these abilities because of the fucking Patriot Act. And, and it's like now the war on terror has so clearly been turned inward and and it's being directed almost entirely towards the right wing and yet the right wing are the ones that are have been historically the defenders of these organizations and i i'm just curious if you have any feeling as to when the right might wake up to how dangerous these organizations are and and who in fact they're coming after we live in strange times and confidence in healthcare is at an all-time low Doctors are now less trusted than mechanics, and rightfully so. How do you know who is right and who is knucking futz? The best way is to read Pharmacoconuts. It has been a long and ugly show watching the system's demise. Patients now nothing but a pincushion to monetize. In a world where everything can make you sick, reading Pharmacoconuts to protect yourself is the trick. Pharmacoconuts.com is a family operation. Two brothers, one a pharmacist and the other an artist, strive to bring you informative and entertaining articles about the current sad state of health and medicine and how you can survive and thrive despite it. Now is the time. If you're trying to get independent uh, information, go check these guys out. This is their very first advertising run, and they are proud to be sorted, supporting the Liberty Lockdown community and myself. How, how kind. Please check out pharmacoconuts.com for lots of great articles and sign up for the Substack. Again, that is Pharmacoconuts, the most trusted name in news, P-H-A-R-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T-S. Link will be in the description below. What a great way to put it. I mean, the Patriot Act is anything but patriotic. No It kidding. is far from it. And, you know, look, again, going back to my 20-year-old mind as a young man going overseas and, you know, we knew about the Patriot Act. And, and it's like, you think, okay, well, if it's to catch bad people, that makes sense. Like, sure. people trying to hurt our country, at least that's what we thought at the time, you know. If, right. if we're trying to catch some terrible, heinous person, well, then we should have the ability to investigate and figure out who these people are, even if it means maybe a little spy work or clandestine work. But then, of course, Edward Snowden blew the, the gate open on all of that, yep. which, you know, look. It a is long time it, ago. <laughs> it, yeah. And yeah, exactly. So, you know, it is kind of strange when you think, well, here's this, the, the right wing, if you will, who the whole time is, you know, that back the blue and, and, and mm -hmm. pro police, pro military. I mean, many of us have served in the military like me and some of us have been police officers. I mean, one of my best friends is a police officer and, and has been a police officer for almost 20 years. Right. And I served in Iraq with him. So that's a double whammy. And he's a great guy, mm -hmm. you know, but it's just, man, 
after a while, you do have to kind of wonder, I mean, if the situation's being completely weaponized against the very people who, it's like everything's backwards. You know, yeah. like I, I got into a into a pissing match earlier with a few Antifa people on my Twitter feed. And I think, okay, now the tweet is a little spicy, but here's the thing. <laughs> I don't understand the mentality. All right. If we look at these people who claim, oh, well, we're anti fascist, which essentially for them, they're saying, well, we're anti-police. We, we don't we don't like the police or whatever. We don't back the blue, you know, the whole ACAB movement, which is weird because we did a video about the, you know, blue line or, you know, blue line, back the blue type people versus the ACAB and the two extremes. So I did a whole like almost hour long talk about this already, but oh, I'll nice. just sort of give a brief, brief synopsis. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone has to deal in extremes. Mm -hmm. Why can't things just be on a, as needed basis like that's yeah. why i've always just viewed myself as politically sort of independent right. because there are situations where i back up good law enforcement that that i know and have vetted and i know are good people right but there's also situations where you can see a bad actor a cop doing something terrible uh you know and go wow that's messed up that yeah, shouldn't man. happen like it's okay to point at that guy and say you're you're a dick and it's okay to look at this guy and go, you know what? I've known this guy 20 years. He's a salt of the earth kind of person. Mm -hmm. Everything is on a situational basis. You can't yeah. draw those hard lines on things. And, you know, I'm look, I'm okay with somebody saying, well, I hate the cops and anti-fascism and all this sort of thing. Like, I got no problem with that viewpoint if that's how they really feel. But, but, but then you're going to go in people's communities and burn down people's buildings and flip over cars and hurt people and throw rocks at people like, well, that's the very thing you say that you're against. Right. I political mean, political violence to get your way. Just going to sit by and, and allow that kind of behavior to occur. Yeah. That's well, my takeaway. It's just don't be dicks to people. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I couldn't. I don't get it. Like, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> no, no, I, I I'm with you, man, and and, and I, I totally agree. I I think what you're describing is is a an inability to have nuance. You know, people aren't aren't able to look at these organizations and say like when they do good okay clap and when they do bad okay boo and and i feel like a lot of people like trump was very much this way where like the people that were hardcore maga like no matter what he did they just would defend him and they would justify to explain how oh, he's playing 5d chess whatever whatever and it's like look when trump did something good I liked it and I appreciated it. And when he fucked up, I said so. Like, why can't we just case by case? Like, but there there really is kind of a uh, cult of personality that went along with him. But there's also ideological capture that goes along with people that that, uh, you know, align themselves with Antifa or mm -hmm. or the thin, thin blue line crowd. And I think, you know, honestly, maybe I shouldn't be giving up on the Antifa people, but I kind of have the people that I'm really that I really think are reachable are the thin blue line folks that well, they have, you know, say their their father was a cop or their grandfather or the, or they they're police or whatever. Like when you have orders that are coming down that are telling you to shut down a fucking church during a pandemic and you do it, you have to look in the mirror at some point and say, what am I doing? Like what what does the oath I gave mean to me any longer? And and same with the military, too. And And I just. I just hope that there's a lot more people that are that have still maintained their employment in these organizations that can that can hear my plea right now that can that can really like look deep in their heart and their soul and think 
Like, is this something that I can still do and maintain my moral character? Because I think in many instances, if they do that, they'll reflect and conclude that they cannot do so. And, and the reason is that I want them to do that is not because I want them out of those jobs, because those are the people, the last people I want out of those jobs. I want those people to then work from within to reform this shit to actually do something to to rectify what is ultimately destroying our nation. Like if you're an FBI agent out there that's listening right now, you have to realize how dangerous this path is that we're on. And do you want to see where this inevitably leads? And God, for the love of God, do something about it. You know, that's why I loved Kyle Serafin and the fact that he was willing to whistleblow and speak out. It's like, we need so much more of that. Um, I don't even know where I'm going. If you got any comments on it, go for it. Oh, that's a wonderful point. I, I totally agree with you on that. I think that, you know, the problem that, that people have is they get under their banners and they huddle under their banners and they, they have the ability to have a hands-off um, approach to the nuance. Mm -hmm. There is no nuance when you're just under a banner. Right. That's the issue. I think that more Americans should really strive hard to seek out all the information that they can and to truly look at each situation on a factual basis, remove the emotion from the situation. Like I tell my wife, sometimes you just got to spock it. Just be spock. Just, <laughs> you know, look, stoicism has been working for me quite a bit. Like, I, yeah, exactly. I, I've tried my best not to let things get me upset. I've tried best, my best just to look at everything from an individual factual basis and then draw my conclusions after careful research. The problem is... People are lazy. They want something that's easily accessible. They want to gobble up the first narrative that's thrown in their face so they can go, okay, I researched it, and this is what big media told me to think, therefore this is what I think. And I'm not going to say that people on all levels of, let's just say, an organization that is involved in some conflict, be it BLM or Antifa or whoever, right? right. That's Again, that's the danger of the banner. Yes. Is that once you have that banner, now it's like everything that organization says, you have to either support or you're going to be thrown under the bus. And I think the truth really relies in nuance. Yep. The truth yep. relies in our on our ability to look at every situation logically and to remove emotion from the situation. If this country was ran by people like Thomas Massey, right, now it might be different. Because Massey's extremely logical. If our country right. was ran by good scientists who actually, <laughs> you know, like if like we Rand, put, Rand Paul, yeah, yeah, if we put super logical people in control <laughs> and, and, and got all the emotional rhetoric out of politics, we might be sitting on a very different set of circumstances. Because what does a logical person do when it comes to okay, let's use all right, my lane would be you know guns, right? Say mm -hmm. that we have to figure out some way to deal with a problem that we perceive with guns. Well, then obviously, you know, you look at statistics and data and you really dive deep and figure out the source of the problem, right? You you don't put a fire out from the top down. You you put the fire out at the source of fire. Exactly. You know? So it's like- Strike the if root. If really tried hard as a country to look at the problem and then go, okay, here's this issue we're having. Uh, now we're going to break this down and find the source, and we're going to solve the problem at the source. I think we're better off. Oh, heck but yeah. I think so many people are just—they're so willing to give up their their freedom of thought in the name of being under the banner. Yeah, and that's well, the issue. 
Yeah, no, it's a huge issue. And and speaking of a banner that I can't <laughs> I can't get rid of fast enough, here is FBI Director Christopher Ray speaking at the World Economic Forum this morning. Check this out, man. Uh, l- let me know if you can hear this. And I think the uh, the sophistication of the private sector is is improving, and and particularly important the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has I think. Uh, made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, uh, we see both great opportunity, but great, great dangers uh, in the wrong hand. And I- yeah, the wrong hands are yours, friend. Um, were you able to hear that? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So we have a the, the head of the FBI that is going to Davos, Switzerland, to meet with the biggest money managers on earth, as well as a bunch of communists, overt communists and anti-human Malthusian lunatics. And he's up there talking about how they've made great strides in terms of working with private business. This is the head of the federal police force of America talking about making great strides with working behind the scenes with quote unquote private business. He is describing fascism. And I can't believe that Antifa has nothing to say about this. Like the people that claim to be against fascism. You think that fucking voter ID laws are fascist? No, friend. The FBI having a direct line of communication to dictate what we're allowed to speak on, where we go, who we associate with, that is fascism. How the fuck, how did we get here, man? Well, one thing that Director Ray said just then that he really did hit the nail on the head is that what they fear the most is losing control. Yeah. You know, and think about it. You know, uh, I don't know how, how old are you? I just turned 40. Okay. So you and I are close to the same age, right? Yeah. So when I, I don't have to like backtrack. I, I know when I'm, when yeah. I say this, that you know exactly where I'm coming from. Oh, no, like, I've related to everything you've said already. So. <laughs> right. Think about early communication, you know, AOL, chat rooms, you know, the internet was this sort of, you know, Wild West. It was uncharted territory for some. Like, we're lucky enough to be in that age where we grew up with technology and we progressed with that technology as it advanced. True. So we got to see, you know, the sort of early uh, version of it as well. So I think back then, you know, when you look at when Facebook first came in into light, you know, it started as a government snooping program. Yes, right? it did. And a lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, really it was all always to collect data and to snoop. And that was always the intention. Of course, the CIA, you know, they get their hands on all kinds of things and psyops and all kinds of snooping operations, especially if it's something they can just farm the data from a third party. And then they're not really having to infringe on your rights to do it. They're just purchasing it from a third party or whatever. The point Mm -hmm. is, I think that they saw the writing on the wall from a lot earlier on than we thought. Yes. And Director Ray, you know, he is he he is correct in the sense that let's say I'm not saying they're correct to want to try and, you know, do bad things against us or to censor us or to control the narrative, but at least he does realize <laughs> that this beauty of freedom of speech and our ability to have, you know, uh, let's just say civilian journalists you know, uh, independent journalism and to share those ideas unimpeded, 
Of course, for him, he's going to see that as a threat because they're in the war of ideas. They're trying to win the war of ideas. They're trying to win the war of propaganda. And the harder that it is for him to to propagate <laughs> his propaganda, if you will, or whatever you want to say, um, well, then, yeah, uh, people like Elon Musk are definitely making their job difficult. And I know earlier you'd mentioned, you know, some shadow banning and some shenanigans uh, with, with Twitter. Um, I can't say that I've had those uh, types of issues. Um, I mean, I think Elon Musk is, is doing the best job he can. I mean, like, you got to think. The yeah. guy has many, many a hand and many, many a pods, and he's got a lot of crap going on. And I, I feel like his heart is in the right place. But, you I, know, a ship like Twitter is going to move slow. Yes. And well, I, and, you know, and, and for the for the record, like, helping. yeah, no, for the record, I, the reason I haven't canceled Twitter Blue and the reason I keep tweeting at him is because I think he is working on it. But I'm just trying to let him know, like, while he's working on it, there are people that are suffering pretty terribly. Like, I just talked to, by the time all is said and done, well over a million people will have heard me on Timcast yesterday. And because of his search ban, none of those people are able to to follow me. And like, you have a business on Twitter, like that's that's what that's what my business is, but that's also what Elon Musk's business is. This is counter to his business. Like this is not what he should want either. And I'm just trying to like let him know. And and I've heard mm -hmm. him in Twitter spaces where he explains why. He says the code is just horrific. He's like every like if you make one change, you have to change everything. He's like it's just it's just totally screwed up. So like I'm trying to be patient, but while I'm waiting, I lost probably five or six thousand followers that would have followed me from that appearance on Timcast, and it's like. That sucks, man. That sucks. So I'm just trying to encourage him to do so. Um, as for the FBI, though, I, I really think that, you know, the actually Robbie the Fire and Dave Smith, uh, two of my good friends, uh, they're on part of the problem. Actually, this morning I listened to it and they were talking about how the media is on board with the FBI dictates of censorship. And you would think that that would be counterintuitive because obviously they make their career off of free speech. They're, you know, they're protected under the First Amendment. They're journalists. Um, but I think that the reason that they are okay with it is one, they propagate the narrative that the government wants. Uh, but two, that's essentially, a fact. yeah, yeah, that, unfortunately, that's a fact. Um, but two, they're, they're, because their job is to propagandize people, they view people like me, which is weird because I was just a mortgage broker that retired and became, became a podcaster. And now I'm like verging on being a journalist just because I'll talk to people that have been canceled. I'll talk to FBI whistleblowers. I'll talk to Dr. Robert Malone. I'll talk to all these people that have like, ha you know, spoken the truth and been punished for it. Um, you know, they don't want us to have a platform. They don't want, like if the, the whole game is up, if there's people that are able to actually tell the truth, well, then the lies become really, really obvious. And that, I, in my opinion, that's ultimately why they want the censorship. Oh, it is. And it's totally the reason they want it. And imagine your ideas being so terrible that the only way you can hold them up on a pedestal is to simply ban or censor everybody that's trying to tell the truth. And, right. you know, maybe a few years back, people might have been like, oh, surely not. You know, people might have been skeptical of that right. concept, but now it's so blatantly obvious they've had to double down on it because they know the cat's out of the bag. And, you know, like 20 years ago, you know, you, you felt like the FBI, the CIA, the government at large, let's say the feds, right, like Congress, you knew that there were some sweetheart deals behind the scenes. You knew that there was a bit of grifting going on. You knew that there was some money changing hands. 
but they weren't upfront about it. They were secretive about it. And at least maybe it felt a little better if you didn't have to see it. Yeah, right. it sure did. But now they're so blatantly obvious about it. It's painful. It hurts. It hurts when you have a group of people who claim to be there to represent you and claim to be there for the betterment of your country. But yet their actions are so blatantly different than that basic promise that you can't help. But but honestly, it hurts. Yeah. No, it does. It, it does. It's painful. And I don't think people realize, you know, they look at the political spectrum as, well, left and right and this and that. But more people are realizing the whole uniparty concept and more people are just feeling blatantly just hurt over it. Mm-hmm. You know, it hurts when, when you're lied to, especially by, you know, your own dang government. Yeah. And I think a lot of people from this 20 years of war on terror to kind of get back to the original crux of uh, the first question, like kind of circling mm-hmm. all the way back to the beginning. There's a lot of us who, after this 20 years, yeah, we feel a bit defeated. We feel a little betrayed. And betrayal is a very terrible, terrible feeling. Yes, it is. And and I think what's so tragic about it is like, particularly for the military veterans, you know, you guys are, you were true believers and many of you were willing to, you know, risk, if not give your life to uphold this belief system that you thought that your government shared and to realize that they don't share your principles is a really dark thing. I mean, especially when you're like, look, I was ready to die for this. And now I find out that you guys, you know, you lied to get me there. You, you, you abused me when I, when I needed treatment, when I got home, um, it's it's just I can't even like really because I'm not a military veteran I can't even really put myself in your shoes I can only attempt to sympathize or empathize with with your position but uh, man it's really terrible and and I think that when you if you do care about the the nation surviving and thriving and existing for the next couple hundred years uh, you can't do that to people you can't do that to the patriot the ones that are willing to fight and die for your country if you abuse them well then your country is not going to exist much much longer and that's my honest opinion is that we have lost so many of the people that are the real like I bleed red white and blue they've lost they've lost you guys not all of you but a lot of you uh, can that that's can that trust can that trust be regained that's a great way to put it and you're right oh, thank you you know and nothing hurts worse. I mean, it's like you're in love with this lady and she's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And you could never imagine her do anything to hurt you. And then one day you find out that the whole time it was a lie. Right. And that hurts. Yeah. She had, she had a you whole, know, she had a whole America, other family. Amer- the, the whole, you know, patriotism, America, all that, you know, it was, it was very much my first love. And, and, you know, you want to have faith that you can keep it together for the sake of the kids. Right, right. You know, and that's the kind of feeling like, you know, you you don't want to you don't want to divorce her because you love her deep down Mm -hmm. inside. Yeah. I love Lady Liberty. I love America. Yep. And, you know, I think that there's still a chance to save it. You know, like when you look at people that, you know, are more on the libertarian side or whatever that may say, well, you know, I support good police or I support our veterans like people. Again, (laughs) the nuance Right. Right. They assume that you're a bootlicker and all this stuff just because you might sympathize with a few people who, you know, to be fair, over this 20 years, we all bled together and got shot at together and went through some really terrible things together. 
And, you know, after a while, you, you get fed up with being called the monster, you know, and, and, and I think there, there's a lot of undoing that they're going to have to, you know, I don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah, man. But they're going to have to do something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, historically, what they do in that situation is they try and create an external enemy that's so egregious that it it reunifies the people. And and unfortunately, you know, what, what it looks like they're trying to do is that with Vladimir Putin. And I, I well, I'm not a fan of his. I, I don't think he rises to that level of evil that, you know, you can actually galvanize the American people to support risking nuclear war, much less World War Three. Uh and and if it's not that, you know, many many on the the Republican side are are very antagonistic towards China, which once again is a nuclear power with over a billion people and serious military might. That like I don't want either of those wars. I don't think that they're winnable. I don't think that you can win a nuclear war. Uh, I think that's the end of humanity as we know it. Um, I guess I'll get get us out of here on this. Do you think that that there is a a sincere possibility? of us going into world war three in the next com coming years. Cause a, a lot of people are nervous about it. And I'm just curious if, you know, with your military experience, if you have any feelings on that. Well, I think that it would certainly not be in the best interest of any of us to get into a nuclear shootout. No um, kidding. That, that's certainly going to guarantee mutual destruction. And that's probably one of the things that keeps it from occurring. Right. Now, when people think nuclear devices, I don't want to, spend a lot of time on this because I know we're, we're probably on time here, so I, I don't want to get too crazy. But, you know, a nuclear device can be the size of a briefcase. Right. And everyone assumes when they think nuke, they think crazy destruction, massive mm -hmm. destruction. Of course, that is true. You know, they can make nukes as big as they want. They can also make them as small as they want. Mm -hmm. So they do have tactical nukes that can target very precise areas. And I, I hope that we don't wind up in nuclear conflict. Me too. You know, I hope that Ukraine and Russia can solve their differences and, and try to heal somehow. Look, war is terrible. I don't like turning on the news and seeing Ukrainians and Russians uh, dead because what I what I look at, all I see is 20-year-old me in a body bag because mm. I was there. I know, I know what it's like to have a government that doesn't care about you to just send you somewhere thinking, well, this person might be expendable. Maybe, and, you know, we were expendable to them. Yeah, yeah. And you can't help but sympathize with the death and to think, you know, there's 150,000 Russians that have brothers and sisters and mothers and families and dads that love them and friends, and they're never going to see them again. And mm -hmm. there's 100,000 Ukrainians, you know, civilians and everybody alike. And uh, the death is terrible. And the human loss is... is very regrettable. War is a terrible thing, you know, and, and I hope that they will resolve their conflict as quickly as possible before this does devolve or evolve rather into sure. some far-reaching nuclear war or World War III. I mean, World War III, we could argue, has, has been going on already for a better part of a decade if we really want to. Yep. I mean, have we not been collectively at war for the last 20 years? <laughs> I Dude. mean, I know. I, I mean, especially with the American empire, it, the the amount of uh, different countries that we've had troops in, it's, I mean, we really are an empire. It's it's crazy um, that that's even like a, a debatable point, but it it's just, it's hard for someone who I, you know, because I grew up in the same area that you did, I, I still, I still hold on to this, like, not belief, but this desire to believe that the American 
not just the people, but the government itself is ultimately, you know, the good guy. And it, and it just becomes increasingly difficult for me to feel that way. And, and I become more, I've become more and more convinced over the past two years, three years in particular, since the lockdowns happened and they completely just eviscerated the bill of rights that I'm like, all right. Yeah. You know, I, I, you, you're, you're naming people like me as domestic extremists, just because I oppose this insanity that you're, that you're pushing for. And, uh, I just, man, it's it. Like you said, it just hurts. It just really, it really I, does hurt. I think I've gone through the I, hurt phase though, into I the into the anger phase. Desperately, I desperately want to believe it. Yeah, more too, than man. you can imagine. I want yeah. to believe it. Me too. But you know, you have to look at the writing on the wall for what it is, and eventually, yep. you have to put yourself into self-preservation mode. Eventually. Yep. Well, people like you make me feel like we might actually be able to preserve ourselves. So. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I think that that you know more the more military veterans that we can get involved in our movement, um, and just not even our movement, but just the the broader, you know, real fervent belief in human liberty. Uh, that's that's what I'm about, and and I think that you know a voice like yours will make a, a huge difference. So I appreciate your time, man. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Um, yeah, so it'll be Iraq Veteran 8888 on Twitter. And also, if you just start typing in Iraq Veteran 8888 on YouTube, uh, check out our YouTube channel. We've got a ton of different stuff we do. Too much to explain, but we've got a series called Gun Gripes that I think you'll like if you want to learn more about guns. Uh, there's tons of educational material on our YouTube channel. If you want to learn more about firearms, I would definitely encourage you to go check it out. It's all free, free resource. Just go check it out. All the videos oh, are there. You can watch it. It's, it's great stuff, and, and I, I just started to deep dive it yesterday, and I'm going to continue to for the next week because I am such a rube when it comes to uh, to guns. Like I just don't know anything about it. I love them, but I just don't know anything. So uh, you're going to be my my mentor via YouTube. So uh, awesome. thank you again. Thank you again, Eric. It has been a, a really great conversation. I think people are going to enjoy this one a lot. If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. So I really didn't want to do this. I really didn't want to talk about the Crowder and Shapiro uh, kerfuffle because, one, I spent two hours talking about it when the information was very preliminary over on Timcast IRL. Uh, I sent out a tweet yesterday where I essentially scolded my some people that I know that I've seen come out on the wrong side of this thing, in my opinion. And uh, I wanted to leave it at that, but a lot of people, I mean, most people actually do agree with me, which is good to see. but. Uh, a lot of people were very upset with my take on it. So instead of responding to each of them individually, I figured, hey, I'm just going to give like a 10-minute uh, appendix or addendum to this episode. And uh, if you're completely disinterested in this, just shut off the episode now. I'm putting it at the end so that you don't have to listen to it. But it's going to be maybe a 10-minute uh, breakdown as to why I think that Daily Wire did nothing wrong. So if you're completely disinterested, shut it off. I don't want to hear it. Don't get mad at me for talking about stupid YouTube drama. All right, you shut it off. Okay, here we go. So, Daily Wire is a independently owned, uh, you know, podcast network essentially, trying to compete in terms of content production with the biggest behemoths in the world. YouTube, obviously, being the biggest, or Google, more broadly, Alphabet specifically, and they are giving some really significant contracts to some of the biggest right-wing quote-unquote influences out there as you are well aware matt walsh with uh what is a woman and uh and jordan peterson have both came over 
uh, Candace Owens. They got a lot of lot of heavy hitters, and I'm a fan of some of them. You know, I don't I don't have any like dog in this fight. I actually like Crowder too. Like I know most people don't like him. <laughs> I think he's entertaining. Uh, so I don't have any like animus towards any of these people, other than you know politically, I think that they get a lot of things wrong. So setting that aside, just as a business person, this is really where I I this that that's the vector. That's the angle I come at this story uh, from is that one, I mean, when you do business with friends, things are always complicated. But what I always care about most is ethical negotiations. And a lot of people think that the Daily Wire contract was unethical. First off, if your terms are explicit, I don't think there's any anything un, unethical about it. I mean, it's a first off, it's a it's a negotiating uh, offer. You know, it's like it's a position that you're you're putting out there, saying, "Hey, this is what we would like to see in the contract." Now you tell us what you don't want to see in the contract. It's like opening salvo stuff. So instead of addressing it privately, he doesn't. He gets upset, and then he makes it a week long. Twitter, YouTube, drama, insanity thing, and ultimately uses it to capitalize on clicks, you know, on on getting eyeballs and attention to his issue because this has dominated Twitter for the past 48 hours. Uh, I don't think that's cool. I also think that when it comes to business negotiations, uh, ethics matter. And, and when you are negotiating a contract in private, it ought to stay that way unless, say, you know, it's in, it includes something that's so predatory that you're like, oh my god, I have to, I have to say something about this. This is crazy. They want, you know, they want all of my old catalog as well as all future work. That's not the case. But like what he described it as is like, oh, I, I'm going to be owned by them if I were to agree to this deal. That's not true. What what the contract actually says is all content produced while under contract is owned by Daily Wire in perpetuity. Well, no shit. Like. You're offering the guy $50 million over four years. That's $12.5 million a year. You're going to expect that content to be yours. That's what you're paying for. So nothing wrong with that at all. Um, also, many people were very upset with the clawbacks that were included in the contract. And I don't understand why. So let me just explain briefly. They include in, in the deal that there would be you know 20% if you lost your YouTube channel. 20% if you lost Twitter or 10, 15, I don't, all the percentages don't really matter, uh, but they were significant. Uh, I'm so, I mean, the exact percentages don't matter. The percentages obviously do matter because it would amount to significant money. Um, but the way the game works is that you have to reach people in order for your ad buys, your sponsors to get the, the reach that justifies the expenditure that they're laying out in their, in their ad buy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, there's also obviously AdSense revenue that comes from YouTube and things like that. I think that uh, the Crowder has been demonetized on YouTube for a very long time. So maybe that's not a huge portion of the income stream. Um, but just put yourself in the Daily Wire people's shoes for a second. You're going to guarantee $12.5 million a year for the next four years. You have to recoup that money, right? Like you're doing this to try and obviously grow the Daily Wire brand and network, uh, but also turn a profit, hopefully, or at least break even. And that's a significant amount of money. You know, you have to sell a very expensive 
add by uh, per episode in order to justify that kind of expenditure, because otherwise you're just burning money. And a lot of people were saying, well, you know, Daily Wire is is framing itself as this, uh, you know, this anti-woke competitor to the big tech oligarchs and blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah. Uh, I also view myself in that way, but I still am trying desperately to keep my show on YouTube because that is the easiest way to reach the biggest amount of people. Uh, I don't think there's anything against my principles in doing so. Uh, I'm also attempting to get an exclusive deal with Rumble so I can speak freely and and have a home where I can reach a lot of people. Uh, I think that, that these are all... You know, this is part of the the war that we're in is trying to keep, obviously, keep our principles, but at the same time, reach as many people as possible while maintaining our principles. It's a very tough balance to find, and and it's not easy to do. Um, but to frame it as if, you know, that is the Daily Wire curtailing Crowder's speech is just absurd. I mean, if you if you run afoul of the terms of service of these platforms and you lose that reach that comes from your Twitter account or you lose that those eyeballs that come from your YouTube account, well, then the revenue stream decreases massively, massively. And all of those social media platforms, of which I'm sure he's been suspended from multiple times, demonetized, things like that, well, they all matter. They all add up to you know, his maximal value. And what they're trying to offer him is his maximal value. But they're saying, well, if your maximal value decreases during the the duration of our four-year agreement, well, then we can't afford to pay you that full amount. And therefore, you should also you know, suffer some losses because we can't do it. And they're a startup. They've only been around for a couple of years. Obviously, they have a, a decent amount of seed capital that that has been put into this operation. But you have to, you have to stay in the black, or you don't exist any longer. That's it. That's really as simple as it gets. You have to turn a profit, or you will die. You will lose. Um, so if you care about your message, if you care about principles, the first thing that you have to consider and and concern yourself with is: Can I stay on? Can I stay on these big platforms? You, know, you may not like the game. I don't like the game either, but that is the game. You're trying to maintain your principles, but get the most reach possible. If you go bankrupt, well, that reach kind of dies now, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. And if you are incredibly successful, well, then you might be able to create your own platforms. You might be able to create the Rumble co competitor as Dave Ruman as Dave Rubin did, or the Locals competitor, which, by the way, I'm on libertylockdown.locals.com. I'm also on Rumble, Clint Russell. Uh, you know, these. this is the game, man. You have to try and have as many different platforms, hopefully the ones that are, are leaning towards more lenient terms of services and, and allowing for greater free speech will ultimately prevail and will eat YouTube's lunch. But, I mean, that's what we're all hoping for. But in the interim, you have to stay fed. You have to be able to continue to feed your family, your employees, everything else. And just as Crowder is diminishing the $12.5 million that he was being guaranteed per year, he's saying, well, I've got 30 employees, so like I'm not making that much money. Okay. Well, Daily Wire also has 
huge expenditures and employee costs. You know, uh, Shapiro doesn't come cheap. Matt Walsh doesn't come cheap. Candace Owens doesn't come cheap. Come cheap. Jordan Peterson doesn't come cheap. Like all of this is enormous expenditure costs. Not to mention production costs, which I'm sure they have an entire team of employees. Not to mention advertising costs. Right? Like they're a business too. It's so weird that like Crowder is able to frame himself as this, you know, moral superior because he's saying. Well, we have to take the fight to big tech. Okay. Crowder, you're still on YouTube, brother. You're still on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these places. You're taking the fight to them, though. I'm not saying you're not. But it's weird that you're saying that because they are trying to keep their business afloat, they're not taking the fight to big tech now. What sense does that make? They're doing the same thing you are. They're trying to create outlets and an alternative platform that has enough subscribership that they can then be a, a standalone entity that isn't reliant on all of these censorious big tech platforms, right? That's what he's doing too with Mug Club. It's so weird. It's like, this is why I, I start to lean towards him being disingenuous is he has to understand this business well enough to know that there's a reason those things were included in the contract. There were. And let's add a, a, another layer to this. This is a negotiation. If you find the percentages crazy or if you think that they should have no recourse, if you're banned from everywhere, like if you get the Alex Jones treatment and they've guaranteed you 50 million and you now have no reach anywhere except on dailywire.com, well then I guess they just have to eat it, right? For the principle. You... Anybody that understands business understands that is an untenable contract to offer. You just can't do it. Now, if you're the Blaze and the, or, or I guess Blaze isn't even really a good example. I think InfoWars is probably the best example because they have been nuked from everywhere. Well, then you could probably offer, you know, someone to come on to your, to your network that you don't have to worry about them being canceled all over the place because you already are. You've already found a way because you already have the, the revenue that comes from selling your supplements and things like that. So you can stand alone, regardless of the censorship practices of the big tech guys. But that's a rare circumstance. And bet your bottom dollar, if InfoWars could continue to market or, or funnel viewership and subscribers from the YouTubes, Twitters, Instagrams of the world, they would be doing it. They would be. Now, does anybody think that they're not principled? No. They're clearly principled, in my opinion. But you're going to try and reach more people all the time. That's the game. So uh, let's add to this another reason I, I question his, his sincerity uh, or his moral superiority. You know, he, he continuously brings up the fact that he's been friends with these people for decades. Uh, okay. Why are you recording their why are you recording what they believe to be private conversations? Keep in mind that uh, I think it was Jeremy Boring who's the like head of of Daily Wire. They had this call weeks after the negotiations fell apart or or I guess it wasn't even a negotiation. Crowder just got pissed and said no. Weeks after they have a private phone call and Crowder records it. And then he puts it out publicly because Daily Wire addresses his original claim. And, and now it's like 
okay, so you have no, like, how can you claim to be the guy with the principles and the moral, uh, you know, superiority over these people, and yet you're recording private conversations with these guys? I'm sorry. I just don't know how you come down on the side of Crowder on this one. I don't. And and as I've said in the tweet that you know spurred me to make this this little addendum, um, I don't care about any of this. <laughs> just being honest, like I do not care about any of this. The only reason that I that I took note is because there was a thousand plus hot takes from like everybody I follow, and many of them are people that run in my circles in terms of the podcast, uh, you know, air arena, and and they. I will never be able to trust them. I'm just being totally honest. Like if I was going to offer, like as a business person, you know, I could, I could create a network tomorrow. I could. And if I was going to offer, you know, some of the, my friends that I think have good podcasts, um, if I were to offer them deals, like many of them would want guaranteed deals, but I would have to include in that these type of causes. Because if their reach gets crushed, well, then I'm just spitting into the wind. I have, I'm just burning money. So I would have to include stuff like this because otherwise it's a terrible agreement for myself. As much as I love these people, as much as I want them to succeed. But if they get censored by everything and everywhere, that hurts me. So I have to include some way that they are also injured in that process. I need them to be... I, like the whole point of an agreement like this is to make sure that your your principles and your practices are in alignment. You're trying to get everybody like the the same motivation. You want them to also want to stay on these platforms. So if Crowder has 12.5 million locked in per year, and he doesn't have to worry about it, like oh oh I got nuked by YouTube, who cares? I get 12 and a half million this year. Well, Daily Wire cares, right? So they have to find a way for him to also care because otherwise it's an untenable deal. I don't even see why this is complicated, but I got enough pushback from this tweet that I was like, all right, all right. You want to hear the explanation? I'll give it to you. This is the explanation. I think it's really simple. You're playing the game. You got to make sure you play it smart. Doing deals where you just go, damn the consequences. Here's, $12 million, let's, we'll see how it works out. No, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to lose so quickly going down that path. You're going to lose almost instantly. So I, I think that the, the reality is that, you know, they want to see Crowder succeed too. You know, the, maybe the money that he's making via his, his own enterprise is significant enough or maybe it's even more who knows i don't know if the i don't know if the deal was fair that's not i mean in terms of money i don't know if the deal was fair um but in terms of the the terms you know the the clauses that were included i didn't find any of it to be that bad and i think that anybody that's in business for a long enough time would know like yeah man i i, I get it you know like it like it's basically like it sucks but of course if that makes any sense. Like, it sucks that you have to include this. But if you didn't, you'd be out of your mind, and you'd also be in the poorhouse in, like, five seconds. There you have it. I'm sure people will still be upset with this take, and I'm sure people will still, will still be replying saying, oh, you don't understand business. Yeah, I do, okay? I do understand business. I've done 
thousands of contracts because of the loans that I funded. I understand business. I'm sorry. I do. And if you disagree with me, you say, oh, it's, it's unprincipled. This, this is principled. This is. We're trying to take the fight to them. But you still have to make money. You have to. They're like, oh, you know, Shapiro is is evil incarnate. Okay. I don't like Shapiro either. It's not the point. It's not the point. Just try and just try and stick with me here. We're talking about the contract. Is it okay or is it not? And then to whistleblow against your friends. You know, these people that you claim, oh, I'm so hurt. I'm so hurt that they would send me this terrible contract. Uh, let me play a recording to a million plus people, you know, trying to make them look as bad as humanly possible. Oh, are they your friends, dude? <laughs> if I were to send that that deal to Jose Galison or Reed Coverdale and they were to do this to me, I'd be like, oh, I'm never talking to you again. You're a terrible friend or not a friend at all. It's very straightforward. And if and if the agreement is so bad that you just think, oh, I can't do it. I don't like it's insulting. I'm not even going to counter. Fine. Then just go. This ain't going to work for me, folks. And honestly, I thought the contract was a little insulting. You don't want to say that to them face to face or on the phone. Say it. Nothing wrong with that. But when you turn around and you put it out publicly and you do it in this like nebulous fashion that you know is going to create this, this drama cycle and everybody's attention and everybody wanting to know, well, who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Well, you're no longer the good guy. You're just not. You're not the good guy in that situation. And, you know, as for whether or not um, censorship is, is ultimately, you know, like if that's something we should just be creating our own platforms, yes, we should. But it takes time. And most importantly, it takes business savvy and capital. And if you just set that aside as you're trying to battle the biggest businesses that have ever existed ever in human history, well, you're going to get fucking destroyed. You're going to get destroyed. So, you know, take your principles and realize that your principles don't get realized unless you find a way to compete and you have to compete. And I want you to compete and I want you to succeed. But you can't do that by, you know, leading with emotion and putting out contracts that are crap. You can't. You will lose. So on this one, uh, obviously I side with the Daily Wire in, you know, whether or not they were, like, less the bad guy in this. But as I said, I don't care. I don't care about either of the parties involved. The only thing that matters to me is that I now know many people in my sphere that, uh, I would never do business with because if you don't see what Crowder did to be really morally low, why would I want to? That's it. That's all there is to it. Sorry. I ran a little longer than I expected, but I hope it for those that, um, you know, were interested in the, in just the purely the business aspects of this. I hope it taught you something. Um, and if it didn't, that's okay too. Love you guys. Go to libertylockdown.locals.com to uh, sign up to become a sporting member of the show. I did an AMA last week. It was great. And, uh, oh, I'm too backlit to see it. There we go. But it's uh, 
Top Lobster's branded shirt. Uh, love that guy, man. Just getting to travel with him and and get to like experience my first time doing a huge show like that, but like to see it through his eyes kind of was really cool for me. Um, and I just love to see the homies succeed. I do. So, and I love that guy. He's just such a great person. So to, to get to, uh, to do that with him, to have that experience, I think that's a memory that neither of us will ever forget. And by the way, over 400 and I think it's 430,000 people have already watched that episode. Really, really cool. Um, you know, with listenership, I'm sure it's over a million. So wild, wild experience. I thought that that top, uh, you know, he kept his cool. Uh, he was, he was on point. I think he was obviously a little nervous, but, um, guys just, guys just smooth, man. He's got that New York vibe. Uh, and just so you guys that don't know, Reed Coverdale, another homie and, uh, Jose Gellison are both queued up to go, uh, sometime in February. And then we're hoping to get, uh, Toad and Fat Dave on there probably in March. So it's going to be wild. We're going to basically have the, the entire Tower Gang squad taking over Timcast for like a six week period. Life's weird, but I'm loving it and I'm loving y'all. I'll see you soon. We're out. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?